0: All right, well, if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, this is uh, on the heels of um, the transfiguration. And we are going to be looking at verses 37 through 45 this morning. The Bible says this, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and, sh- and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying this morning before we get into the text specifically i want us to look first at uh, peter's peter's message through luke because uh, as you look at this text uh, i want you to imagine luke sitting down with peter and interviewing peter because uh, peter's story is coming out through through uh, luke's gospel very clearly, there's, there's something in Luke's message that he wants us to grasp as we consider this text this morning. Um, this, this story is found in three Gospels. It's found in Matthew, it's found in Mark, and Luke. And Luke's version is an edited version of Matthew and Mark. Mark's is the longest uh, version of this particular story. And again, it comes on the heels of the transfiguration. And I think the reason why um, Luke's message is, is edited is because he's wanting to uh, shorten the gap between what Peter witnessed on the mount and what the people are discovering about Jesus in, in verse 43. That Jesus is the majesty of God. If you go back to the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter saw the glory of God. He saw the reality of who Jesus is. Um, God kind of peeled back the flesh of, of, uh, of Jesus and his glory was displayed. Yes, we know Jesus to be a fully man, but he is fully God as well, and clothed in the flesh we we miss the glory and the majesty of god and uh, when jesus when Peter and James and John saw this on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, the Bible says in mark's Gospel that Jesus' glory, his, his, uh, his shining was whiter than any bleached garment on earth. It was a brilliant exhibition of His glory. If you look at Psalm 104, I believe it's in your outline this morning, the psalmist says this, Bless, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with a light as with a garment. And this is what the three disciples witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory and the majesty of God in Christ. And as we... um, As we looked at last week's account, as Jeff shared with us last week, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus tells the disciples, now you need to be silent about this. You can't tell anybody what you've witnessed. And the reason why he tells the disciples to be silent is that he doesn't want his deity, Jesus doesn't want his deity to be a distraction from his his mission on earth. Jesus has come to, to suffer and to die and to be resurrected. The cross is on purpose. And again, he's going to convey to these disciples that, that he has come to be delivered into the hands of men. The cross is not an accident. It isn't a horrific accident. No, the cross was on purpose before the foundations of the world and he doesn't want jesus doesn't want his deity to be a distraction from what he has come to do for all of us and yet this significant moment has not been forgotten by peter you know we all go through moments in our lives where there are things that are burned into our memory things that we can't forget good things as well as bad things and i want you to know friend the bad things that we have a hard time forgiving that's why jesus came jesus came to suffer and to di- and to die and pronounce his Justice, his judgment on all sin. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God, the punishment of God. And if people repent, they will avoid that punishment themselves. But if they don't repent, The Bible says at the end of time, God's justice is going to be pronounced on them as well. So Jesus has come to take away the bad things. But as we look through this passage of Scripture, just understand that Peter has not forgotten. He knows he has seen the reality of who Jesus is, and he's conveying this to to Luke in this interview process. And if you go to Peter's uh, letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, this is what Peter says about the incident on the mount. He said, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. You need to mark that down in your Bible. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty for when He received honor and glory from the from God the Father and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. The point of Luke's version, through Peter, is for us to see the majesty of God. The three disciples witness it on the Mount of Transfiguration, And now here they are in the valley. They've come off the mountaintop. Jesus has has healed a a boy that was demon-possessed. And here's what it says in verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Peter wants us to know, Luke wants us to know that My friends, we can see the majesty of God not only on the mountaintop, but we can see Him in the valley as well. The people who didn't see the transfiguration on the mountaintop are seeing the majesty of God through Jesus and the healing of this boy. I think Luke's message to us this morning and Peter's is this. Don't just live for the mountaintops to see the majesty of God. My friend, you can see God's majesty in the valley if you'll look for it. We shouldn't look. We shouldn't live for the mountaintops. But at the same time, we shouldn't live without the mountaintops. You know, there's opportunities in the valley for God to break through in our circumstances if we'll just let Him. If we'll look for Him. If we'll come to Him in prayer and in quiet time and say, God, reveal yourself. If you're hungry for Him, my friend, He'll speak to you. Let Him hug you. Let him remind you of who he is. He wants to do that. You can see his majesty in the valley if you'll just look. And so Peter witnessed the glory of God, not only on the mountaintop, but he witnessed it in the valley along with many others. And the Bible says that Jesus healed this boy. Now, I want you to, that's Peter's message. Don't miss the majesty of God in Christ. But at the same time, I want us to remind ourselves once again that Luke is is wanting us to get the fact that Jesus is God. You know, he wasn't just a great moral teacher. He didn't just do amazing things. He was God. And, and he uses Jesus and God interchangeably in the text. Look at verse 40, um, 42. Verse 42 says, And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Who's God? Jesus in what he did by healing the boy. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 39. Uh, This was another um, uh, account where Jesus cast out a demon. At at the conclusion of this event, uh, Jesus says this in verse 39. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus and God are the same person. Don't let people try to convince you that Jesus isn't God. Luke is very careful in pointing out to us the deity of Jesus Christ. And so that, again, that is Luke's message to us. This is Peter's message to us. And so in the light of that reality that Jesus is God, the revelation of who he is, Luke wants us to live in the light of that revelation. That Jesus really is who he says he is. And so, with that, let's go through the rest of the, chat, the text. Uh, this isn't one of the disciples' most profound moments. In fact, this is a moment when, uh, this is a chapter when the disciples fumble the ball big time. And... Uh, today we 're only going to look at the first two uh incidences of this fumble in two weeks we'll come back to this text and uh, Jeff will pick up the rest of the chapter but uh this 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 chapter started off well uh Jesus had sent the the disciples out uh, in his name to cast out demons to heal people and uh the disciples were able to do marvelous things, and uh, you know, as we go through the first part of this text, I, I just want you to imagine that the disciples thought that they were pretty hot stuff. When the Bible, when when the disciples came back from. Um, their mission trip, they conveyed to Jesus all that God was able to do through them. The story grew, and there was a huge crowd. And uh, that crowd was hungry. And Jesus fed that crowd. Uh, the disciples didn't think that they could feed that crowd, but Jesus fed that crowd with just a little boy's lunch. And the disciples were able to help Jesus feed that crowd. Uh, I can imagine that those disciples um, thought, boy, they were they were God's gift to mankind. I mean, they could do anything. They were invincible. I mean, they were with Jesus. Look how popular they were. I know what that's like. I want to just kind of uh, let you end on on your. Pastor's depraved mind. You know, before I uh, came to Emmanuel and Ridgecrest, I served Emmanuel Baptist of Highland for 16 years. It was a successful ministry. Uh, Rob Zinn is the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist in Highland, and uh, he was—he uh, is a well-known pastor. There was a lot of success in that church. And, you know, whenever I was around Rob or we would go to conventions, state conventions of this nature, um, everybody knew who Rob Zinn was. And I served on Rob Zinn's staff. And, you know, I would tell people, I would be proud of the fact that I served on the staff at Emanuel Baptist. And you could, just, you could just sense my arrogance And uh, I was just really full of myself. I thought I was pretty hot stuff. Rob Zinn chose me to be on staff at Emmanuel Baptist Church, be a part of his church staff. It's pretty sad, actually. But that's the mindset of these disciples in this text of Scripture. Scripture. These disciples think that they're pretty hot stuff. And here they come to a situation where a dad comes to the disciples and he says, Can you help me? My son is demon possessed. Can you heal my son? And the disciples... Full of themselves, I think, say to this father, of course we can help your son. And so here they are trying to cast this demon out of this little boy. And what's happening when Jesus and the other three disciples show up? There's pandemonium. I mean, nothing is happening. The disciples are making a spectacle of themselves. In the book of Mark, there's arguing taking place. Nothing is going right. And here this father is desperate for his son to be healed. And he says this in verse 40 to Jesus, And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Why couldn't the disciples cast out the demon? The reason why they couldn't cast out the demon was because their faith was in themselves rather than God. They thought that they could do it on their own. And they had a big zero. They were a big failure. And as a result, Jesus has a strong rebuke for them in verse 41. He says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. What is the point of this story in this text? My friend, the point is this. There is nothing, there is nothing you or I can do outside of dependence on God. If we try to do it outside of Him, we're going to fail Miserably. We need God at all times. And here the disciples were trying to cast out this demon without depending upon the power of God in their lives. What transpired in the first part of Luke and they got all excited about what God was going to do through them, was exactly that. It was God that did it through them. It was God that fed the 5,000 plus. It wasn't the disciples. It was God. God just merely used them. My friend, for God to use you and for God to use me, We've got to be absolutely dependent on him at all times. And as soon as you get to the point that you think that you're hot stuff, guess what? You've lost the power of God in your life. It's not you. It's him. And Jesus gives this strong rebuke. And The reason why he rebukes them is because they have forgotten. They have forgotten that it was him, Jesus, and not them that did all these things. And Jesus quotes, Jesus uh, kind of paraphrases from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, verses 5 and 20. And if you go back, we won't go there, but uh, in Deuteronomy 32, it's the song of Moses. Uh, Moses is preparing the people to go into the promised land, and he's, uh, he's uh, reminding that generation of the previous generation that had to pass away, that was unable to go into the promised land because they had forgotten what God had done. And Jesus is saying in this rebuke, you are just like the children of the Exodus. I have done all these things, and yet you have forgotten. And Jesus says, how long am I to be with you and put up with your faithlessness? Jesus is annoyed that they've forgotten. Jesus says, how long am I going to put up with you? Imagine Jesus saying those words. I mean, that had to have been a very awkward moment. Hopefully forever, Jesus. I think what Jesus is going through or thinking in this passage or when he says those words, I think Jesus is kind of homesick. Homesick for the place where it will always be made right here he's working with people that don't get it right how long am i going to put up with you but oh the faithfulness of jesus he does put up with us doesn't he you know even though these disciples they couldn't get it right this dad didn't give up on jesus the grace of God, Dad pursued Jesus. Do you feel like the disciples? Do you feel like, you know, you make progress with the Lord, you're in chapter 9, verse 1, and, and God's doing things in your life, and then all of a sudden, you know, life kind of blindsides you? You've taken one step forward and two or three steps back. Even though Jesus may be annoyed with us, how long am I going to put up with you, Bill? He's not going to give up on me. And he's not going to give up on you. And here we see the grace of God coming through, and Jesus heals this young boy that's our jesus even in the midst of our fumbles even in the midst of our mistakes jesus is still working so that's the first fumble they forgotten they forgot jesus they didn't put jesus in their equation and then the second fumble well let's just read the passage after jesus had healed this young boy while they were still marveling verse Verse 43, uh, verse 44 says, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them so that they may not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Jesus says something that's just, they're not comprehending, that they're not grasping. And instead of asking Jesus a question to clarify his words, they don't say anything. The Bible says they're afraid. And this matter is is concealed from them. They were afraid to ask. They were afraid to understand. My friend, don't be afraid. If, if, if you're in a confusing situation, don't be afraid to ask God. He's not going to criticize you. He's not going to condemn you. He's not going to be like my chemistry professor in college. I had a prof- chemistry, chemistry professor in college. His name was Dr. Valvulis. Uh, I was uh, in a class of probably 150 to 200 other students my first year of uh, college at Fresno State University. Dr. Valvulis would be up there lecturing, and he would always, you know, say, now, does anybody have a question? Please ask your question. And, uh, but the problem is, nobody wanted to ask the question, because every time a a student asked a question, Dr. Valvulis would criticize them for not knowing the answer in front of 150 students. Uh, That's not the way Jesus is. The disciples could have asked jesus jesus we don 't understand help us to understand what are you what do you mean that you 're going to be delivered into the hands of men, but they were afraid to ask now there 's one or two reasons why um, well in the text it says in verse forty three but uh, verse forty five but they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them. It was concealed from them. What does that mean? Did God, did God conceal it from them? Keep them from understanding? That's what some interpreters would um, have us believe. But then there's other interpreters who would say it was. No, it was concealed from them because really they were afraid, they were fearful of of how that was going to be played out. And that was going to make them sad. And they couldn't fathom the thought, and so they just didn't want to go there. Are you in a dark situation right now? Are you fearful? Don't be afraid to ask God. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given him. Ask God for wisdom. How do we ask God for wisdom? Well, first, pray. Seek Him. Read His Word. And if you're still confused, my friend, get together with some people that you trust, who can keep a confidence, but know the Lord And bounce off them what's going on in your heart and soul. Don't be afraid to ask. God will bring clarity to your situation. You don't have to keep it to yourself. But the disciples were afraid, they didn't want to be sad. And so they let, they continued to live in darkness. And that was the second fumble. The first fumble, they, were, they thought they were pretty hot stuff. And they could do this on their own. And they were big failures. The first two fumbles. And so what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway from this passage of Scripture this morning? I want to suggest four things. Number one, are you willing for Jesus to give you the ultimate healing in your life? I don't know why you're here. But my friend, the ultimate deliverance, the ultimate answer for what you're facing in life is the grace of God. Jesus wants to come into your life and by His grace forgive you from all your sin and to set you free and to make you well and make you alive to Him. Have you experienced Jesus as your ultimate deliverer? Jesus is the only one who will heal. Jesus is the only one who will set you free. Have you experienced that? Number two, are you totally dependent on Jesus? Totally dependent on him. All of us know Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali thought he was pretty hot stuff when he was uh, the, the heavy heavyweight world champion. One time, Uh, Muhammad Ali was flying on an airplane. And uh, as uh, everybody was being seated and putting on their seatbelts, Muhammad Ali didn't put a seatbelt on. The stewardess came by and said, uh, Mr. Ali, uh, would you please put your seatbelt on? And uh, Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight, the stewardess looked at Mr. Ali and said, Well, Mr. Ali, Superman don't need no airplane either. Put on your seatbelt. And he put on his seatbelt. Are you totally dependent on Jesus? Or do you think you're Superman? There's no such thing as Superman. We all need Jesus. 24-7. I don't care who you are. We are in desperate need of Jesus. A third takeaway. Are you listening to him? Are you listening to him? Hear his voice. Jesus wants to show you his majesty. Have you taken three steps backwards recently? I've got good news for you. Jesus still loves you. Even though these disciples fumbled the ball, this is a miserable end of chapter 9, God still uses the disciples and he wants to use you. But you've got to listen to him. Jesus wants to reveal himself. But you've got to be Hungry for Him. When was the last time you had a quiet time? When was the last time you just turned off all the distractions, computer, television, radio, phone, turned it all off and said, okay, Jesus, I need to hear from you. If you're hungry for Him, you'll be able to see His majesty. Are you listening to Him And then that's the fourth takeaway. Look for His majesty in the valley. Don't live for the mountaintops, but don't ignore the mountaintops, but look for His presence in your valley. Let's pray. Jesus, you've done some pretty incredible things in all of our lives. And just like these disciples in the first part of chapter 9, Lord, we've made some positive steps. We've made some, some strides in being like you. but we've had our humbling moments too. And and maybe there's one here this morning. Life has humbled them. They're not as good as they thought they were. I've certainly been there many times. And Jesus, you've known it. And even though that... You've been annoyed by my decisions. Jesus, you're still patient with me, and you're patient with each one here in this room this morning. Forgive us for our faithlessness perversion. Jesus, give us a new beginning. Someone's once said, a wise sage once said, Christianity is a series of new beginnings. Jesus, we need that fresh start with you. I pray tonight or tomorrow. Jesus will turn off the distractions and open your word and hear your voice. Help us to see your majesty. Is that the cry of your heart this morning? Pour it out to him. Talk to him. He didn't bring you to this service by accident. He wants an encounter with you. God, speak to our hearts.